Finding the music you love shouldn't be hard. That's why Pandora makes it easy to explore all your favorites and discover new artists and genres you'll love. Enjoy a personalized listening experience simply by selecting any song or album, and we'll make a station crafted just for you. Best of all, you can listen for free. Download Pandora on the Apple App Store or Google Play and start hearing the soundtrack to your life. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth or a phantom of night that hath no hollow or one that lieth dead in the desert or a ghost unburied or a demon or a ghoul whatever thou be until thou art removed thou shalt find here no water to drink Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm Dan. Hey, Dan. I'm Lindsay. Hello, Lindsay. Hello. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Uh, Sorry we're not dressed up. We will be later. Full transparency, we do plan on dressing up for the live show on October 28th. We recorded this one back on October 5th. Sorry. So that's why. Uh, but it is going to be a Halloween episode. We are opening the second of two back-to-back Halloween-centric Tuesday night episodes with another story set on Halloween. Fun. Also, uh, our set here is kind of always decorated for Halloween. That's true. Year-round Halloween. That's true. Hope you get in all kinds of good, scary movies, TV shows, in addition to listening to us, uh, costume parties, handing out candy, trick-or-treating, whatever you're doing. We hope you enjoy the hell out of it. Yes. Uh, on BadMagicMerch.com, this is the last episode where we will promote the first annual Scared to Death Live Haunted Halloween True Tales of Hallow's Eve Horror. Uh, it's this Thursday. Live show, Moment House Digital Experience, happening October 28th, 6 p.m. Pacific Time. You can watch it over and over until November 1st. Watch Correct. it on Halloween. Uh, and then it fades into another Halloween legend. And then it's gone. Tickets to uh, Scared to Death Live, Haunted Halloween, True Tales of Hallow's Eve Horror, and all the limited edition merch that goes away when the show does, available now at badmagicmerch.com if you're listening to this before November 1st, which we hope you are. Perfect. But if you're not, we still love you. We still love you. Uh, last remi- we at least think you're okay. <laughs> last reminder that our uh, that our October Bad Magic Charity of the Month is Rain, the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, America's largest anti-sexual or uh, anti-sexual violence organization. That'd be weird if I just stopped it. America's largest anti-sexual organization. <laughs> They're against all sex. All of it. It's all terrible. No, they're against sexual abuse. Uh, proud to donate $15,600 on behalf of our Roberts and Annabelles, in addition to the Space Lizard patrons over on TimeSuck. And you can go to rain2ends.org to learn more. Uh, my first Halloween story is, it's not necessarily about Halloween or horror. It's just, I'm just going to talk for about 15 minutes about Winona Ryder. Oh my God, Stop. <laughs> <laughs> you no. would have had to have listened to the episode before for this to make sense, but Dan is just being a disgusting person. No, I won't talk about Winona Ryder or her underwear or my underwear or anything. No Tr- one wants to hear about your underwear. Winona Ryder does. No, Trigger- she doesn't. She might. Trigger warning on my first Halloween lore story. 
This yeah. is another especially rough suicide. There is another especially rough suicide in this one. Okay. Uh, for the record, I don't seek out stories that revolve around those. It just so happens that we've had a couple of rough ones in like the past month. Yeah. Uh, the story was requested several months ago by listener Elena Burns, the legend of the devil baby of Hull House. Ooh. On a Halloween night roughly a century ago was an evil baby brought into the world and then hid in the attic of Chicago's Hull House. Does its evil spirit remain there? I mean, fuck yeah, it does. For my second story, we head to South America, and I share the legend and a modern encounter claim coming from Colombia's haunted uh, Tecandama Falls, yeah, Tecandama Falls, and also the haunted Ref- Refugio del Salto Hotel that overlooks the falls. Okay. Uh, yeah, I really like these again. Uh, ready to head to Chicago. There was plenty of setup on this one to get comfortable. Actually, I want to say something. Okay. Do you remember like two or three episodes ago? I was like, you know, you did this episode on Time Suck and it was like about this haunted yes. house. And I didn't then, know what you were talking da, 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 about. And I then said it was, was American Horror Story. And you said Amityville. I was like, no, that's not it. It was Roanoke. And the reason I'm oh, suddenly remembering that yeah. is because you made up a stupid thing of like on time suck dan does these mr x and mm-hmm. i shouldn't call them stupid these little like jokes and i think that that's the roanoke spider oh yes glass. the roanoke recluse spider that would yeah. pull open your eyelids and crawl into your eyeball with its spider friends mm-hmm. and eat your brain mm-hmm. and lay eggs in there people believed it mm-hmm. yeah but anyways it was roanoke and that was a great i, th- I think we really liked that season of american horror story yeah i feel like we did mm-hmm. that i feel was like a good angela one. bassett was particularly good mm-hmm. that season that was a very good one okay there now i feel better now it's out okay i'm ready i've got uh my rose quartz um do you want to talk about stephen beavers really quick or are you going to save that for later seven beavers it, i'm going to talk about stephen later stephen's beavers stop um, it he's okay. heard it all before okay uh we're gonna head to chicago whole house is a beautiful brick italianate mansion located in the west side of chicago Built in 1856 by Charles Hull, a prosperous real estate developer who uh, the building was later named after. When it was built, the west side of Chicago was a highly fashionable place, home to many of the city's wealthiest people. Then the Great Fire of 1871 happened. Over three square miles of the city, over 17,000 structures completely destroyed, burnt to nothing. Over 300 died, over 100,000 left homeless. After the fire, nearly all of the city's wealthy residents left the area, leaving the neighborhood around Hull House to fall into disrepair and become home for the poorest of the poor in Chicago. Immigrants, sex workers, all manner of people struggling through life now settled in the ashes of what was once wonderful. Hull House was lucky to have not burned in the fire. It sits only a half mile northwest of where the fire began. Luckily for Charles Hull, the wind blew the fire northeast and the flames never touched Hull House. And then because it was built so solidly, the house would also later be saved from the wrecking ball, unlike many of its neighbors, and is now one of the most historical, noteworthy structures in the city. Very cool. Charles himself left not too many years after the fire, and Jane Addams, along with Ellen Gates, star, rented the property and founded one of America's first so-called settlement houses in the fall of 1889. In the 19th century, near the end, a woman's movement had begun in America and elsewhere to promote education and autonomy for women to help them break into traditionally male-dominated occupations. Organizations led by women were formed for social reform, including settlement houses such as Hull House, situated in working-class and poor neighborhoods. Hull House took in many of the city's downtrodden, especially newly arrived immigrants, and offered them education, uh, work projects, kindergarten, childcare, and more as well as offering a place to stay to the most disadvantaged in society between 1889 and 1930. Started off primarily as a shelter for women, tending to them with midwives, sheltering them from abusive husbands. 
Later on, the House began work on some very important issues in the U.S., including child labor, women's suffrage, health care reform. So influential was her work that Jane Addams was actually awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 1919 after founding the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom. Jane was a highly intelligent, educated, influential social reformer and philanthropist, and also someone who believed very strongly in the spirit world. I love her. Shortly after moving in, Jane came to believe that her bedroom, along with a few other places in Hull House, housed some ghosts. She adamantly believed that the ghost in her bedroom was the spirit of Charles Hull's late wife. She once claimed to see her, the apparition of a lady in white, on the stairs. And while Jane believed her to be a friendly ghost, the spirit also spooked her enough that she soon took a different room in the house, offering her old room to some of the house's guests. Numerous later guests who stayed in that room would also report seeing the same spirit that Jane encountered there and on the stairs. Over the years, so many residents and guests reported paranormal activity at Whole House that now the house is believed to be one of the most haunted buildings in the city. And there's one paranormal story that rises far above the rest when it comes to the legends that put Whole House on the spectral map. Time now for the tale of Born on Halloween. This story allegedly formed the basis for the 1967 novel and the 1968 movie of the same name, Rosemary's Baby. The movie, directed by Roman Polanski and starring Mia Farrow, follows a young woman whose husband conspires with the satanic coven of witches living in their new apartment to impregnate his wife with a child of Satan himself. The story of Rosemary's Baby is extremely embellished and lends ideas from other stories and from the author's own mind as well. It could have pulled directly only from the whole house story, the alleged events of Halloween night in Chicago are pretty intense, extreme, and terrifying all on their own. The story goes that on Halloween night, 1913, as a terrible storm raged across the city, a young distraught woman went into labor with her first child. She was a devout Catholic, and shortly before, after moving into her new home with her young husband, she'd hung a picture of the Virgin Mary on her bedroom wall. She was in a very unhappy and abusive marriage, and her husband was not the least bit religious. He hated religion. He seemed to hate God himself. He became infuriated upon seeing the picture of Mary, tore it from the wall, ripping it to pieces and declaring, I would rather have the devil in this house than this. The young woman conceived shortly thereafter on Halloween night. When she went into labor, she was alone save for her doctor and one midwife. And when her baby arrived in the world, her midwife screamed in horror. The baby was unlike anything she'd ever seen. Here the story seems to get embellished quite a bit in some tellings. Or depending on what you believe, who knows? Maybe not. Maybe this is somehow what happened. Some tellings say that a baby was born with actual horns, little goat horns coming out of the top of his human skull, and these stories also say he had a tail, a long, winding red tail coming from the bottom of his spine, pointed ears, sharp teeth, scaly skin. There's all kinds of monstrous, monstrous descriptions assigned to the newborn beast in various legends. Other tellings state that the baby had no monstrous features at all, but instead projected a powerful feeling of dread and doom, a feeling of evil, that its eyes were wicked and its mouth always seemed to be sneered. In some versions, the doctor found the baby so monstrous, he actually wanted to put the child down. He was overcome with an instinctive urge to kill the baby. In other tellings, the doctor, midwife, and mother were terrified of what the father would think. They wanted to protect the baby, and they recommended the mother and child flee to Hull House, where they'd be safely hidden and cared for. They knew that Jane Addams was a kind, generous, and protective soul, and that if anyone would be able to provide shelter for this strange baby, it would be her. Jane greeted the midwife, mother, and child at the door of Hull House late on that Halloween night. After seeing the baby, she was astounded and afraid, but she did not turn them away. 
The midwife left, and Jane then rushed the mother and child through the house, not wanting to alert any of the other women or children staying there, not wanting to draw attention to the little monster. She took them up to a room in the attic. The dusty room had only been used for storage since Jane had taken over the house. A bed was now brought up along with a bucket for the mother to answer any of nature's calls, and it was decided that they would stay there until they could come up with a better alternative. Food was brought up to the mother regularly while she stayed in the dark and dusty room, nursing a very needy baby that struck fear into the heart of all who saw it. Soon a few months had passed by, and no better arrangement had been found, and the young mother was at her wit's end. Kept inside one room for months with no sunlight, very little company, and a fussy monstrous child who scared her like it did everyone else, she was losing her mind. Some telling say the baby became unnaturally advanced, that in only a few months it could talk, and when it spoke it only hurled blasphemous insults and profanity. It was cruel. It bit its mother's breast during feeding, threw bottles and other objects around the room. It reacted aggressively and angrily to any religious talk or religious items. Then one dark night, on the following Halloween night, according to some tellings of the legend, the young mother finally could not take it anymore. She'd been stuck in the attic for an entire year with a child she'd grown to believe was the actual spawn of Satan. She'd reached a breaking point, and after supposedly more taunting and abuse from her tiny devil spawn, she slowly slipped her hands around the baby's neck. Through tears, she squeezed and strangled the baby until he died. And then when Jane came up hours later to bring the mother her food, she found the baby dead and the mother hanging from the ceiling. She called in the coroner to take the woman away, telling him that she was the most, one of the most unfortunate of souls who not even Whole House could save. According to the legend, she did not tell the coroner about the baby. She hid his body in a closet, and then late that night, she took the baby out in the yard behind Whole House and buried the child. Ever since, some believe that the spirit of this child, known as the Whole House Devil Baby, has never left the attic where it was murdered. Some believe that the child of Satan still resides in a Whole House in spirit form, and that on Halloween night, it's at its most active. The house now operates as a museum, and pre-COVID was a popular stop on many of Chicago's ghost tours. None of the tours seem to have offered any kind of late-night Whole House exploration. If they did, you could test the darkest of the Whole House legends. You could venture into the attic late on Halloween night, and try to catch a glimpse of a small shadow entity reportedly lurking about. You could hear the baby crying. You could call for the child of Satan to once again take human form, and maybe just maybe at the cost of your soul, you could take the devil baby of whole house outside of the attic and into yourself, and then out into the world. Yeah, I know that story. Do you really? Mm-hmm. You've heard the whole house legend? Mm-hmm. Yeah, as soon as you said it, I was like, oh, I know what we're going to do. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, where did you hear it? I don't know if it's just because I grew up in Cleveland and it's so close. Yeah. Yeah. Or like Rosemary's Baby and just like mm-hmm. being like fascinated with that movie at a young age. Oh, I don't know interesting. if I had like done like the research because I mean, my girlfriends and I watched that multiple times. Yeah. 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 It's a very famous horror movie. Oh, it, it's still, I think if I watched it now, it would still get me. I've never seen it actually. Really? I sh- yeah, we should watch it. Oh, we should watch it on TLA. It's, I mean, oh, okay. I mean, it's a classic, it's come up a but few like, times, it's yeah. so good. I, well, it was so good to me when I was 10, sure. 12, 14. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to be a little dated now, but still it's a you know, noteworthy movie. Yeah. I've stayed away from it. Maybe I can let go of this. Now, I don't know if he still makes any money. Oh, I just Roman hate Polanski. Roman Polanski. I know. I was young and I didn't know. Yeah. That's my excuse and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> uh, I have a few pictures. Okay. For, first, this picture is Whole House Today. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you know, so uh, it doesn't look it, it looks more impressive in some pictures than others, but it is, you know, for its day, it was a very yeah. like noteworthy house. Well, I think it doesn't look as like big or whatever because mm-hmm. of what it's surrounded by. Yeah. Uh, this is an older photo of whole house. No date yeah. assigned to this one. Um, this is an interior shot, some children being cared for at Whole House. I mean, they took in a lot of the city's poor and you know, mm-hmm. orphans as well sometimes. And then this final one is a picture of a stairway in Whole House where someone claims to have seen the ghost of a woman. Perhaps the ghost of the wife of Charles Hull captured it on photograph. Just I know. I'm like, there's something. Outline on the stairs. I find that my skeptical brain, when mm-hmm. I see photos like this, I'm like, ugh, trick a of the smudge, light. Trick of the light, Trick yeah. of the light, a smudge on the camera lens. And it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it could also not be. Yeah. Uh, I, it's it's hard to tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. It's always hard to tell when you're not there and it's like, well, did they see that with their own eyes and then I also capture it? Or did it just show up in the camera because of a smudge? Absolutely. Yeah. So just interesting. Um, and that was the... And that was the the little baby story. My other one's a lot bigger. A that, was a, that was a little Halloween warm-up. A and little just a, appetizer, if you will. Yeah, and a pretty popular, you know, paranormal Midwest legend. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever, you haven't really spent much time in Chicago, have you? Uh, just doing shows. Yeah, it's a great city. Um, yeah, it is. I've had fun there, like, doing shows. but Great I, people. I've never been there outside of touring. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've never gone to just, like, visit. Yeah. If you grew up in Cleveland and you want, like, a bigger city, mm-hmm. because, I mean, Cleveland now is actually quite cool, but when I, I've said this a hundred times, when I was growing yeah. up, it just wasn't what it is now. Yeah. So oftentimes it was like, if you wanted a big city, but you wanted Midwest, like, people, you yeah. went to Chicago. If uh-huh. you wanted pure city, you just went to New York. Mm-hmm. Makes and sense. And so that was kind of a different thing. And the bars in Chicago, I don't know if this is still true, but they used to be open. Yeah, super so, late. Like, like, three, four in the morning. And it was... So great. I think that's and then still would, a thing. Oh, and then you would take the L home and you would just be a fucking mess. <laughs> that was so great. So great when I was young and stupid. Um, okay, if you had to choose mm-hmm. God baby, devil baby. Because that's what he said. He said he would rather have the devil oh, than, like, than, you know, than that Virgin Mary. Yeah. I mean, well. God baby or devil baby? I don't know. You know, I, I, I'm going to be... The the God of Christianity scares me a bit. He can be pretty wrathful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So to me, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to be risk being smited mm. for not being godly enough mm-hmm. or if I'd want the devil who's like, you know, wicked, but also maybe like, hey, let's party. <laughs> well, I feel like with the devil, baby, you at least know that like it's a fucking devil. Like you, <laughs> right. you kind of know what you're getting, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. With a God, baby. Oh, man. God can be a little... Um, what is the word? If it was a very forgiving God baby. I'd be like, all right, God baby. <laughs> but if God baby's like, you don't get, don't listen to that. It's naughty. I'm like, baby, God baby, you need to shut the fuck up. Oh. God baby, I'm still your dad. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, don't judge me, God baby. <laughs> God baby would like not, God baby and I probably wouldn't get along because I walk the line a mm. lot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So. Yeek. Yeek. I don't know. I just thought it was a funny thing to think about. Like, do you want angel baby or devil baby? <laughs> now we leave Halloween, but don't leave any of the scares. If anything, we're going to increase them as we head to South America for some very interesting legends and a very unsettling modern encounter story. But first, sponsor time. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What are the things that weigh you down on a day-to-day basis? What kind of stress are you holding on to? Do you spend much of your day going over things in your brain over and over until they are so distracting it affects your mental health? Well, don't worry. You're not alone. We all carry different stressors, some big, some small. When we keep things bottled up, the results can be negative. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest without fear or judgment. It's a place to work through what is heavy on your mind and heart so that you can feel lighter and happier. 
I'm always holding on to something. It's the way my anxious brain works. I'm continually worried that I've done something wrong, that I've hurt the feelings of someone I love, and that I have let someone down. I'm stressed that I'm not being a good enough mom or wife. I panic that our life will implode at any given moment and it'll all be my fault. Thankfully, I have an amazing therapist who helps me talk through each of these scenarios. After each and every appointment, I feel lighter, happier, and more capable of showing up as my most authentic self. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash scared to death today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash scared to death. Finding the music you love shouldn't be hard. That's why Pandora makes it easy to explore all your favorites and discover new artists and genres you'll love. Enjoy a personalized listening experience simply by selecting any song or album, and we'll make a station crafted just for you. Best of all, you can listen for free. Download Pandora on the Apple App Store or Google Play and start hearing the soundtrack to your life. Summer is just around the corner. Who's excited? I know I am. With the warmer, sunnier days calling your name, the last place you're going to want to be is in your kitchen, cooking and meal prepping. Make your life easier with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Factors Never Frozen, Always Fresh Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Think of all the extra time you will get outside in the summer sun when you aren't wasting hours in the kitchen. I think I speak for everyone when I say that the summer is the busiest time of the year. We are all trying to cram in as many things as possible, from concerts to vacations and everything in between. With Kyler home from college and Monroe on her break too, I want to spend as much time as possible with them. And while I truly love to cook, the summer is the one time of year that I'm the least interested in doing that for three meals a day. So I lean on Factor to help keep me healthy and in step with my diet. I'm obsessed with the honey yogurt pancakes for breakfast, the pork El Pastor for lunch, and the cilantro lime barramundi for dinner. So easy and saves me so much time. Head to factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 and use code scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code scared to death 50 at factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Thanks for listening to our sponsors, Creeps and Peepers. Hope you heard some appealing deals. Okay, fair amount of setup on this one. Okay, bring so it on. Plenty of time for you to settle in. Okay, great. I'll do my best with these pronunciations up front. Oh, and, then, and then it gets boy. more into just a regular story. Oh, boy. But the setup has some tricky words for my tongue. Okay. South of Bogota in central Colombia. Uh, Tekendama Falls sits at 515 feet above the Bogota River. The hauntingly beautiful natural water feature has a long and tragic history, and stories of paranormal encounters that surround it go back centuries, all the way back to Spanish colonization. The Muisca, the indigenous tribe that lived around the falls before colonization, are at the center of most of these paranormal tales. Tekendama means he who precipitated downward in the Chipka language of the Muisca people. The Muisca believed in Bohica, a god who created the waterfalls. According to their legend, there was once a catastrophic flood, and Bohica created a patch of land above the waterfall to save their people. The falls were a symbol of salvation to the Muisca. And then when the Spanish conquered the area, they took the Muisca as prisoners of war, and according to some legends, they forced some of them to jump off the falls to their deaths. Another legend, and I, I will buy that. The Spanish conquistadors could be pretty cruel to the people pretty, they came across. Yes, very brutal. Pretty barbaric. Another legend states that some Wisca believed that if they willingly jumped from the top of the falls, their old god would save them, and they would be transformed into an eagle 
and gain their freedom by flying away from their slave masters. Oh, boy. Unfortunately, this belief, if true, led to just much more death. Yeah. Over the centuries, so many people apparently either were pushed, jumped willingly, or fell from Takendama Falls that the base of the falls was nicknamed the Lake of the Dead. Mm. And a lot of paranormal activity has been claimed to have been experienced by those who have visited the Waterfalls base. Another paranormal hotspot, more famous than the Waterfalls base, is the Refugio del Salto, an abandoned luxury hotel that sits right next to the falls. People have reported seeing the shadowy apparitions of men, hearing the sounds of bar fights, even witnessing the apparition of a nun who allegedly once fell off the Waterfalls, uh, the cliff there. Where Where did this now abandoned hotel come from? Refugio del Salto was originally owned by architect Carlos Arturo Tapias. He finished construction nearly a century ago, in 1923. His mansion was meant to reflect the aesthetic of the Roaring Twenties. Tapias threw lavish parties throughout the decade for all of Bogota's socialite crowd. In 1928, he completed an extension to his mansion, then monetized it, opening it up as a hotel. And he invited all of Bogota's wealthiest celebrities and politicians to stay there. Business boomed at first. But then, just a year later, the Great Depression hit. Business slowed down to almost nothing. Tapias didn't quite lose everything, but some of his friends did. And some of them and other locals added to the waterfall's body count, throwing themselves from the top of the falls like so many before them. The dwindling number of hotel guests who stayed over the following decades reportedly now began to see apparitions both inside and outside of the hotel. They began reporting, hearing quiet, disembodied voices conversing in a strange tongue and allegedly some sort of dark energy once drove a hotel guest to randomly murder another guest, a young woman in one of the other rooms. After her death, some began to see her spirit peeking out of windows of the room where she died. After weathering the depression and entering another period of economic prosperity, Tapia's planned to convert the mansion into an 18-floor hotel in July of 1950, but the project was delayed due to structural problems. The original foundation had become too damaged to build on. Soon thereafter, it was even too damaged to continue with existing operations. And then there was the environmental contamination of the Bogota River. Police began to report a terrible stink coming from the water due to pollution. Obviously, this didn't help bring in more guests. Numbers dwindled, dwindled, little by little, some reparations were made. Finally, in 1990, the hotel closed for good. And it didn't, but it didn't stop attracting visitors. Ghost hunters and tourists now came to wander around the property. Homeless people came and squatted and stayed inside the old mansion hotel. Dead bodies began to turn up inside it. Overdoses, suicides, accidents, sometimes murders. In 2011, the National University of Columbia's Institute of Natural Sciences and the Ecological Farm Foundation of Porvenir came together to restore the hotel. They wanted to make it a cultural hub and tourist attraction to highlight conservation efforts. The hotel reopened as a biodiversity museum in 2013, and it remains a museum today. A supposedly very haunted museum, continuing to create more and more paranormal believers with modern encounters like the following story. Time now for the tale of ancient whispers of death. Mario focused his attention as his radio crackled. Alarm activation at Tekendama Falls Museum of Biodiversity and Culture. Please respond. Unit 119 responding. Receive the alarm notification and a request for an officer. Heading to location will update when we arrive. The radio cut out, leaving Mario with only the sound of the roaring engine as he sped away. Finally, some action tonight, Cesar, his partner, said. Mario asked him, what do you think uh, it is this time? Probably another homeless person trying to sneak in for the night. I'll bet you lunch tomorrow they're gone when we get there. You're on. Mario turned the high beams on as he started up the windy road to the falls. He wasn't new to law enforcement, but he was new to this job. 
Cesar had been there many times before. He warned Mario about how dangerous the road could be, especially at night. The lack of guardrails made Mario nervous. His hands gripped the steering wheel tightly. Mario saw the mansion hotel first, the structure looming over them ominously. He swallowed. Why was he so tense? He'd responded to calls far worse than an alarm activation. He'd never felt so apprehensive. He told himself it was just because he'd never been to this location before. He was unfamiliar with the layout and the terrain. A loud thump beneath the truck now startled him. He felt the vehicle lift up as it hit something and drift to the side towards the edge of the road where the water sat 500 feet below. Mario slammed on the brakes. The tires screeched as they came to a stop. You all right? Mario asked Cesar. The fuck was that? Mario looked out the window. Whatever they hit, it was something big, big enough to nearly knock the car off the side of the cliffs. But there was nothing in the road. No bodies, animal or human. No blood, no debris, no potholes, branches, or any obstructions at all in the road. Nothing. Cesar matched Mario's confused expression. Is the truck all right? He asked with a sigh, rubbing his hand over his face. Mario got out to inspect it. Shockingly, he couldn't find any damage. Wasn't dented or scratched. The undercarriage was in perfect condition. Truck's fine, Mario called. Cesar sighed again, a resigned look now on his face. <sighs> look, it's probably just all superstition, but I need to tell you that this place, it's not normal. I've been here enough over the years to see my own share of strange things. Not every time, but I feel like I've heard things, seen things. Nothing like this, though. Meyer didn't know what to make of all that. He came from a religious, superstitious family, but he didn't really believe in any of that stuff himself. He believed, since he was a small child, that the real evils of the world were human beings, not imaginary creatures people make up in their heads. Still, Cesar was his partner, a veteran officer he admired. He didn't want to be disrespectful, so he played along. What kinds of things? He asked. Well... It's actually more than superstition. I really have heard things, mostly voices, speaking in a strange language. I've heard them myself. Cesar stared at Mario, dead serious, continuing, I don't know what they're saying. I swear sometimes I've seen figures of people, too, fading in and out of the mist. Makes you feel like you're going insane. And you think what, that we hit one of these figures? Mario worked hard to hide the, come on, man, you can't be fucking serious, thought he was happening. I don't know. Mario suddenly remembered that they needed to keep dispatch updated regarding what they were doing. He pressed the button on his radio. Unit 119 arrived at location. We'll conduct a perimeter search and an interior search of the museum. Please provide access code to reset alarm. Mario didn't feel the need to keep talking about what kind of ghosts Cesar thought they might have hit. He was fine with convincing himself there was probably just some wild animal that ran off before they could see it. The two officers got back in the truck, making a short drive to the parking lot on the side of the road at the back of the old mansion. Mario refused to look over the edge as he pulled away from the cliffs. Inside or outside? He asked Cesar. Inside. I'll let you smell the river instead of me, he answered. Patrol the perimeter of the property. Let's be quick. Mario agreed. He didn't want to stay in this strange place any longer than he had to. When he got out of the car for a second time, the smell hit him full force. Rotten. It was disgusting. He'd never had to, had to face the river contamination so close up. It reminded him of the many decaying bodies he'd seen during his few years working as a police officer in Bogota. Cesar headed inside, shouting, National Police, announce yourself! Mario was left alone to, pro pro uh, to patrol the outside of the property. He took a deep breath, preparing to step into the rotten mist outside. Ten cuidado, a woman's voice whispered, right next to his ear. So soft he almost couldn't make out the words. A shiver rolled through him. Be careful? Why? Why was he imagining hearing someone say something like that? He told himself he must be tired. After the shift, he'd go home, get a good night's sleep, forget that he'd let Cesar's superstitious stories burrow deep enough into his head for him to hallucinate a voice in his ear telling him to be careful. 
Maybe it was the wind blowing around the cliffs. Mario clicked on his flashlight, now headed to the east side of the property. National police, announce yourself! He shouted as he made his way around the corner of the old building. A mist was now starting to surround him, making it difficult to see even with the flashlight. And the stink of the river nearly overwhelmed him. As he rounded the corner to the front of the property, he paused, looking up with wide, frightened eyes. There was a woman upstairs, her face peeking out from the window, staring at him with huge, dark eyes. Keeping his gaze locked onto her, Mario fumbled with his radio buttons, turning on to a private channel. Cesar, there's someone upstairs, a woman. I can see her in one of the windows. What are you talking about? Cesar's voice came to the radio. I'm heading back down from the upstairs right now. I just cleared every room. I see her, Cesar. I'm staring right at her. White female, black hair, slender, leaning against the window, staring at me. As if she could hear him talking about her, the woman gave Mario a little smile and a wave. He shuddered again, the warning voice repeating in his head, Be careful. Do you need backup? He asked. No, just finish up outside. I'll check the upstairs one more time. Look for and lock up. I'll let you know if I see her. Mario turned his head down to uh, turn off his radio. If he sees her? Why would he say that? How would I see some woman Cesar can't find, he wondered, already knowing the answer. He might not find her because she might not be real because she's a ghost. He shuddered. No, no, he had to find her. She must be who tripped the alarm. When he looked back up, the woman was gone. He worried about Cesar, but he insisted he didn't want backup. Mario tried his best to refocus and continue with his patrol. He made his way around the back of the property, inspecting the perimeter of the smaller building next door. There were no more disturbances, no more strange women in windows. All was peaceful. Mario headed back to the main door of the mansion, where he'd wait for Cesar, ready to go in and provide backup at a moment's notice. He paused for a moment to look over the edge of the cliff. He could hear the rushing of the waterfall, see the mist floating all around, and then he saw something else. He swore he saw a flash of something, a human figure, running along the edge of the falls before disappearing into nothing. Mario shook his head, trying to forcibly clear it of all these crazy thoughts. He stopped looking down over the edge of the cliff, walked over to just outside the mansion's main door, looking again for the strange woman with the dark eyes. Pasqua. A woman's voice whispered behind him. Mario spun around, placing his hand on his holster. There was no one. Just the wind, he told himself. But that was getting harder and harder to believe. Then he heard it again. Pasqua. Mario jumped. The voice was much closer this time. It was a different voice right in his ear. Pasqua. 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 Behind him, in his ear, in front of him, the voice repeated over and over some strange word he couldn't understand. Pasqua. 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 Over and over he heard the word, whispered from numerous voices from all around closer and closer until it felt like the voices were coming from inside of his head. Mario spun in a circle, frantically looking around for the source of the voices, but there was nothing, just him, alone in the darkness. Mario then ran inside the mansion, pushing the heavy door open, slamming it behind him. Cesar, I'm inside, he yelled. Why are you shouting? Cesar was standing right in front of him. Mario jumped. He didn't realize Cesar was so close. What's wrong? Cesar asked, noticing the wild look in his eyes. I, uh, this strange place, I I, I kept hearing voices over and over, speaking in a strange language. I I don't know. I don't know. It's it's probably nothing. Maybe I'm just tired. I didn't find that woman you saw, said Cesar, who didn't seem surprised by what he was saying about the voices. There's no one in here, Mario. She has to be. I saw her in the window. Cesar sighed. I believe you when you say you saw her, but I'm telling you this is not a normal place. I know you saw a woman, but she wasn't real. Mario had had enough of all this. He was angry and confused, irritated that nothing could seem to explain all the strange things happening all around him. Whatever, let's leave, he said. He pressed the call button on his radio. Unit 119, building and perimeter all clear, leaving property shortly. 
Cesar reset the security system, and the two officers left the building, shutting the door with a heavy thud behind them. They stopped to look at the falls one last time. It's beautiful, isn't it? Cesar asked. Yeah, it, it, you know, it actually... Oh my god, uh, sir, sir, stop! Mario broke away from Cesar, running as fast as he could to the falls. There was a man standing at the very edge, arms outstretched, face turned up towards the moon. He was going to jump. Cesar echoed his shouting. He could see the man, too. That meant he had to be real, right? Either way, Mario continued running. He wasn't about to watch a man commit suicide and do nothing. They reached the edge of the falls, standing just a few meters back from the man. Sir! Mario shouted. The man slowly turned around, the mist moving with him. It floated around him, partially, partially obscuring his face. He was wearing strange clothes. They looked old from a different time. Sir, please step away, Cesar now yelled. I'm a police officer. I'm here to help you. The man's black eyes locked with his, a solemn look on his face. He took a step backwards. Please, Cesar now said, taking a step forward, hand outstretched. You don't have to do this. Take my hand. Come away from there and we can talk. The man turned his head to Cesar, a questioning look now in his eyes. Cesar took another step forward. The man lowered his arms. Mario's feelings of concern now shifted to suspicion. Something felt wrong about this. A horrible feeling of dread sank into his stomach. Be careful, repeated in his head. Cesar, Mario started. Stay back, said Cesar. Let me handle this. If we both approach him, we might get overwhelmed. Cesar turned his attention back to the man. Sir, take my hand. Don't do this. We can talk about this together. Just take my hand. Cesar was now just an arm's length away from the strange man. Mario watched silently, his heart gripped in fear. These rocks were so wet, either one of them could slip at a moment's notice. What if the man jumped? What would they do? The man had a strange look in his eyes. He looked wild-eyed, unpredictable. It terrified Mario. Take my hand, Cesar commanded. The mist now surrounded both men, shrouding them in a haze. Slowly, the man reached out, gripping Cesar's hand tightly in his own. Cesar let out a sigh of relief. The man's black eyes shifted to Mario. Pasqua! He said in a low, raspy voice. Before Mario could take another breath, the man pulled Cesar with him over the edge of the cliff. Down they both went. He could hear Cesar screaming as he fell. No! Mario ran to the edge of the falls, frantically looking over the edge for Cesar. He heard a splash way down in the water below, but couldn't see anything. Too much mist, too dark, the distance too great. He pressed the call button. Unit 119, his voice shook, requesting backup immediately. I need an aerial rescue unit. Officer down. My partner just fell from the falls. Sending back up now, ETA 20 minutes, Officer Figueroa, I need you to clarify your situation. Officer Arzola fell from the falls. Y yes, I, I, he fell. We went to the edge. We saw a man standing there. He was going to jump. Cesar was trying to talk him down. The man pulled him with him over the edge. They fell. They're dead. Oh my God, they're dead. I need to go down and find him. No, do not go to the river, Officer Figueroa. Understood. Mario waited an excruciating 20 minutes for their aerial rescue unit to arrive, followed by a legion of squad cars. Officers swarmed him while the helicopter unit circled overhead, searching the river for Cesar's body. Mario was put into the back of a vehicle and escorted to Bogota, taken into an interrogation room and questioned for hours. Midway through the interrogation, he received news that they had found Cesar's body. He was dead. A spiral injury had killed him instantly. There was no signs of another body anywhere near him. Mario was now arrested on suspicion of murder and thrown into a prison cell. Months later, he went to trial. After several weeks, was narrowly cleared of all charges. His defense proved that Mario's DNA was not on Cesar's body. Cesar had no defensive wounds to indicate he tried to fight off an attacker. All signs showed he jumped of his own free will. A psyche valve determined that Mario had hallucinated the second man. He was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, removed from the National Police Force, banned from ever serving in the police or military, or from owning a gun ever again. Now he carried the stigma that many believed he was a murderer who'd gotten away with it. Mario knew he had not been hallucinating that night. 
He knew that strange spirit of a man pulled Cesar with him to his death. He knew he wasn't crazy, but he was glad to be off the police force. He never would have gone back anyway. And he understood why no one believed him. If he hadn't have seen what he saw that night, he wouldn't have believed someone telling the story he told either. Mario moved away, built a new life for himself, told no one what had happened to him for years. Eventually, he got married and started a family, told the story to his wife and children, the only people who ever believed him. After seeing her father disturbed for years by nightmares, his daughter posted a story online, changing all names, identifying details, hoping to connect with others who may have had similar experiences or heard similar stories of Takendama Falls, of spirits trying to pull people to their deaths. I don't know if she ever connected with anyone. I do know one last thing, that the word Mario kept hearing, Basqua, it's a Chipka word that means die. (gasps) That is not what I thought it was going to mean. What do you think it's going to mean? Like, help? Yikes. I knew that that's what was going to happen when you said there was a figure and he turned around and reached out his hand. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. This isn't going to be good. Mm-hmm. Damn it. Cesar. I have some pictures. Okay. Very beautiful place. I bet. I will say. I would so love to go there. This, yeah. This first picture, uh, Taken Dama oh, Falls. Oh, my God. Is that gorgeous? And then uh, that's the uh, ref- Refugio or Refugio del Salto uh, off to the right there. Uh, from where we're sitting, then another picture of the hotel a little closer up. Wow. Or just different angle, I guess. Sorry, but yeah. But it's, like, no, it's no longer in operation, right? No, oh, it's a museum uh, now. It's a museum now. Yeah, yeah no yeah. longer is operating as a hotel. And then this is another picture of the hotel with the falls and mist behind it. Mm. <laughs> I mean, those falls and that's crazy. I wasn't uh, envisioning it that high up. Mm-hmm. Like 500 and some feet. It's huge. Another picture of the old hotel. Uh, just another, you know, different angle. It's just such a pretty, mm-hmm. just a cool looking place. Just built on the cliff like that with nothing else around. It reminds me of Machu Picchu. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. There's like that hotel in the side of the mountain mm-hmm. before you start your ascension. Yeah. And then last one, just an interior uh, shot of the ref- wow. uh, Refugio del Salto. So pretty. Mm-hmm. So much gold. Yeah, it's really, just cool. Really cool. They don't make them like that anymore. True. You know what I mean? They don't make them like they used to. (laughs) They sure don't. (laughs) It's interesting to me because I think we put so much faith in police officers Mm -hmm. or or the idea of law enforcement that like serve and protect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and we don't think of them as being, um, we think of them as being infallible, you know, like, Mm. like they wouldn't be foolish enough. To, uh, yeah. to do that and like you know that they're trained to talk people literally off the ledge mm-hmm. and like you should know better than to grab their hand and like but your human instincts take over and mm-hmm. you want to protect someone you want to help them save them you're thinking about their life in that moment you're not right, thinking about emotional. yours Ooh. Yeah. yeah yeah and a long way down I oh mean, my god I wonder how fast it is meaning like yeah i don't know how long it would take like to fall 500 feet is it like 10 seconds is it... you could figure out there's like um, based on body weight like you know yeah. i don't think you'd even reach terminal velocity at that height i think you'd still be increasing in speed as you fell because mm-hmm. there is a point you know for every object when it's like you max out on speed falling right right i don't uh, think you would get that mm, 500 feet man I'm, i mean i'm guessing man 500 feet that's internet like, yes five and a half seconds Okay. Oh, about. that's that's longer than I thought. Thanks, Joe. Oh, that's shorter than I thought. Five and a half seconds. I mean, that's that's that a decent a, amount of a time. Toddler. To fall. That was a toddler. Oh, no, no, I'm a kidding. T- I don't know. Oh. <laughs> uh, so one, mm-hmm. two, just falling. Three, four, five. I mean, that's enough time to think like, oh fuck, I'm gonna die. Yep. 
And I mean, that's about as much Damn. as you can think. Yeah. Yeah. But I was thinking about his scream going down. I mean, he knew what was coming. Mm-hmm. And I bet with a fall that high, I mean, that five seconds isn't enough time to react to like curl, curl yourself up into a ball and mm-hmm. like a giant cannonball and hope that, you know, there's nothing at the bottom that right. punctures you or, yeah. I mean, I don't think that you can survive that. Mm-mm. I don't know. People do like crazy like dives. Well, and, so I'm sure it's like for a Extremely rare cases. There's people. There's people who have fallen out of planes from like over 10,000 feet and lived. Not many, but there's a couple cases. Who the fuck is falling out of a plane? How does that happen? Well, there was a there was a plane uh, that was flying over South America, over the uh, going to Germany. Yeah. And this German teenager, I can't remember her name. Like uh, I talked about it on the podcast, I used to do incredible feats. That seventeen, she was like seventeen years old. Her plane, like it broke apart in midair. Oh yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. And, and she, That's different. She fell over ten thousand feet, no parachute, landed in some trees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some like never fell out of her seat, but her seat is not like it was. I remember that. And somehow lived and walked out. Okay, that is like a one in a million. Oh, yeah. It's like okay. a one in a million thing. But like, who's falling out of planes? The, the the plane broke. You're not falling out of a plane. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're not like, well, I just got to go to the bathroom and whoopsies. <laughs> <Yeah>. Whoops. Right. <laughs> out the window you go. Right. No. I mean, no. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I don't know, like in like extreme sports or like people who like diving or cliff jumping or like 500 feet. Mm-hmm. That feels like too high. Uh, to hit to hit and live yeah. yeah yeah even even for like the most trained diver yeah i think like once you get above a certain point it doesn't matter if it's 500 feet or twenty thousand feet right it's the same kind of like you're <laughs> that's it one in, one in a billion yeah odds you're gonna live maximum velocity yes terminal velocity that's what mm-hmm. it is that's it you just you can't go any faster right. at a certain point right and, and you die yeah. that's why it's called terminal yeah it doesn't matter well no but yeah <laughs> it doesn't matter <laughs> i'm trying to get you <laughs> yeah uh, you ready for your? Sorry, I, I should have kept talking. <laughs> I, I was I was naturally wrapping up a thought just as you happened to grab a drink. Mm, yes, well, you got to learn to fill the space, Dan. Mm-hmm. You ready? You ready to fill some space? <laughs> I'm ready to fill a lot of space. This story is so great. It's so great. It okay? So we're off to Colorado, mm-hmm. but not like Denver. We're going up to the outsides, and uh, yeah, we're going to a silo, like an old weapon cool. silo. Yeah. And I, I, I was picturing a grain silo, but a weapon silo. Okay. Oh, okay. I've never. I logical train of thought. Grain silo. People drown, quote unquote, mm-hmm. in silos all the time. Right. I mean, it's more like suffocate. Smother, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, I mean, I hope that doesn't still happen frequently anymore. But I think that 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 was like a big fear uh, I had as a kid. I don't think it ever happened frequently. That'd be weird if there was like a pan, like an epidemic. No, of not silo frequently, but like deaths. you know, like just. Uh, Poor work environments, yeah, yeah. unsafe conditions, no fucking OSHA coming <laughs> yeah. in and examining. Mm-hmm. So, like, just Ugh. more common yeah. than you would like to think. Ugh, terrible way to go. Terrible. I like. We were talking about this in the car the other day, and Monroe said, okay, if I fell into a grain silo, mm-hmm. what I would do is I would Superman, mm-hmm. and I would evenly distribute my weight. And then, in her mind, that meant she wouldn't sink down and suffocate. Mm-hmm. And, and if she did it fast enough, it, it would keep her possibly afloat. If you did it on the top and you spread out your arms and distributed your weight and didn't move, but then you got to lay there, lay there in your Superman position and be like, someone, uh, someone help. Yeah, yep. And yeah. you can't be too aggressive about your mm-hmm. yelling because then you'll move your head and then you'll. <laughs> yeah. You got to get somebody to get you out of there. I think it must've been something that was in movies in like the early nineties because I have a deep fear of that, of like quicksand. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, quicksand was a thing when we were like we were uh, kids. Yeah, I remember being afraid of quicksand. Yeah, I thought everything was going to be quicksand. Like, careful on the beach, it's quicksand. Yeah, there would be like those. Um, I don't know what it's called. Not, I guess, a sinkhole for a lack of better terms. Mm -hmm. Where you'd be like walking along, then all of a sudden, and you're sucked down, and that's it, and you're that's it, you're dead. I don't know if it was a movie or what. <laughs> I got it from somewhere. Yeah, sinkholes. I mean, yeah, everyone swell like swallow up part of a house, or whatever. When yeah. just like uh, it's kind of hollow underneath. Mm-hmm. Maybe a lot of times because of some kind of underground water flow. Yeah, and then it just collapses, or there's a cave down there that's just not structurally solid enough to support the weight of something, oh and God. collapses, and you fall down. But yeah, quicksand just seemed even like crazier where you just like walk. And in my mind, it would happen so fast. Like you, right. you're walking along hiking and then you step on the wrong spot and then whoop, and then down you go. And then you need somebody to throw a vine to you. Right, right. That was always in my head. I'm like, oh man, I hope there's a vine nearby because <laughs> then I'll just pull myself up on the vine. Was that like a trope of the 90s in movies? Because for both of us to it was in video games very... too. It was in some early video games. Like I think it was one called like Jungle Pit or I don't know. There was an early video game. I don't know. I wasn't ever that's a how gamer. You could die. Yeah. Okay. Well, I just have all sorts of facts today. Tell you us, guys know Joe. quicksand. You really can't die in quicksand. What? Oh. Like it's not even a real thing. That's what? hilarious. Yeah. What? It's all. It's all Hollywood. Ha! <laughs> yeah. Nonsense fear. Yeah. It can't suck you up. No. Like you'll sink, but it's not gonna. You're not gonna drown in it. What? Yeah. yeah. You know what? Now that I think of it, I've never seen like a National Geographic video of like here's this poor animal that walked out into the pit sand and then it's getting sucked up by the earth. Like never once. Like, I'm, like bugs. I'm flabbergasted. I'm flabbergasted. Oh, you're okay. What? Then yeah. what? Is, the, ah, but then, so then, what happens? You just sink a little bit, and then you just pull your own foot out, and you're fine. I guess you're like, yeah, yeah. Like it's like a nuisance. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's kind of, it's annoying. You have Ugh. to like dig your way out, but yeah, you're you're not gonna drown in it. Okay, I'm shocked, and also I feel real fucking dumb. <laughs> Because I really thought that that was something I still needed to be afraid of. No, nope, happy hiking. Great, I can worry about quicksand. I can cross that off my list. Okay, well, anyways, silo, silo. Okay, so and, uh, logical that you would think a grain silo, mm-hmm. but an ammunition silo, and just uh, yeah. you know, for this story, it's a little tricky to follow along because there are literally a lot of twists and turns. Yeah. So try to just like really follow along because I read through the story a couple times. Just to make sure it did make sense, and okay. it does. But you know, I've never been in a weapon silo. Sure. So basically, you're in a giant labyrinth. Okay. Okay. Well, here we go. I'm so excited about the story. The ending is like oof. Okay. It good. really will get you because the story itself is scary, but the ending is mm, cherry on top. <laughs> Hello, fellow peeps and creepers. I'm new to the podcast and absolutely love it. I listen to it all day at work, so thanks for mu- thanks so much for considering my story. There's a little precursor to this story. This happens close. This happened close to a decade ago. I live in a rural town in Colorado with little for us teenagers to do outside of the usual drinking, field parties, and occasional cow tipping. <laughs> There's a place 15 minutes out of town that almost everyone has been to. It's a Cold War era missile silo. Cool. Mm-hmm. To, uh, to take you to the last night I had been in the area, it starts at about 10 p.m. A friend and I were hanging out with two more of her friends, so four of us in total. My friend Sarah invited two of her friends from the close-by city to hang out. Sarah had brought up the idea to visit the missile silos that her and I had been to many times previously, and after a little convincing, Sarah's friends had decided to tag along. After a 15-minute drive, we arrived at what I thought would be a routine walk through this incredibly fascinating place. The silos at this time were privately owned. They were located only 100 yards or so from the owner's front door. As we pulled up, it looked like nothing more than a field with a 30-ish foot hill right in the middle. We climbed out of our car and started our walk up to the seemingly out-of-place hill. 
As we crested the top, it dropped down as if it opened to a resting volcano. At the bottom, a tiny, man-sized opening could be seen. It took a little, a little ninja skill to get through the grate that blocks the opening, which opens to a long, narrow tunnel, maybe 10 feet in radius. Immediately, the temperature drops. Not enough to see your breath, but at least 10 to 20 degrees lower than the summer night outside. With four of us there, we thought two flashlights would do, along with Sarah's camera. We turned to our right and walked 100 feet or so. As we walked, we noticed a strong smell of smoke. The end of the tunnel opens to a big room, enough for you to forget you're underground. The room is dome-shaped, two stories, and 50 yards across. A graded second floor rings around the dome. The tunnel we came through opens to these grates. There is only one staircase that leads to the bottom, but getting there is dangerous. Many of these grates are missing or are rusty, and a fall could mean serious injury or worse. Carefully, we made it to the staircase and found the only other tunnel leading out of this room. Something caught my eye. I looked up over my shoulder to see a tree stump smoldering and smoking. Chalking it up to other people having come and gone, I didn't think anything of it. This place is known by almost everyone around, and it wouldn't be the first time we had run into other people down there. The tunnel we entered goes on for an unknown distance. Prior times, we had walked down this tunnel for several hours and never found the end. Mm. As we walked, we passed open doors to a mess hall, bathrooms, bedrooms, and several other rooms that we didn't know the uses of. Every time I had been there before, weird things had happened. Mostly sounds from animals, water dripping from old pipes, and our voices carrying down through the intense darkness. We continued walking, determined to find the actual silos themselves, while carrying on about teenage life, Hmm. playing practical jokes on one another, and having an all-around good time. The tunnel is not wide enough to walk next to each other, so we had to walk in a single-file line. I ended up at the rear, which is not my favorite spot. In front of me is one of Sarah's friends, Becky. As we're all walking and talking, I notice Becky's hair begin to move unnaturally up and down. Becky throws her hand back and demanded that I knocked it off. As I did not touch her, I told her as much. She gave me a suspicious look, but we carried on. I should say that we had a pact every time we visited here. If you see anything, hear anything, or feel anything, keep it to yourself until you're outside. Many things can go wrong in this place if you are panicked and running. We continued to walk, and within minutes, Becky's hair began to bounce, almost like a doll connected to the hands of a puppeteer. She turned and yelled, I told you to (laughs) knock it off! Sarah's friend Joe came to see what the issue was. Joe was a skater guy and always wore his favorite flat bill hat. Joe came between Becky and I and asked what was going on. John keeps playing with my hair, Becky complained. Just as Joe looked to me to ask a question, his hat came off his head and was thrown down the tunnel in the direction we had come from by an unseen force. A short scream from after a short scream from Becky, Joe retrieved his hat and we decided to press on. After an hour or so of walking, we arrived at the door. We arrived at a door at the side of the tunnel that was previously closed and locked, labeled Silo 1. The door was cracked open and so we entered. As we entered the opening, we realized that we had found the silo we had been looking for. A giant, cylindrical room was before us. Looking down, we saw water 30 or 40 feet below us. Remnants of the graded staircases and flooring protruding from the walls. Throwing rocks down to the water and hollering to hear the echo, Sarah noticed something moving around the edge of the water. She called out to us, and we shined our flashlights to the surface. 
we could see what looked like a body floating in the water. Growing up, I was told of a man that had kidnapped a woman, killed her, and dragged her body down there and threw her into the silo. Never finding any confirmation of this and feeling a bit unsettled, we decided to turn back and see what else we could find in this new, unexplored area. We found many rooms, seemingly untouched since its closing. Continuous searching led to a collapsed elevator. I had never explored any lower than the floor we were on and convinced everyone we should try to find some way to get to the next level below us. After 10 minutes of searching, we found a ladder, a hole cut in the concrete with a rebar ladder leading to the level below us. We decided to check it out and descended one at a time. Remember when I said two flashlights would do? (laughs) Somehow, I ended up at the back of our conga line without a flashlight. As Becky descended, I was stuck at the top by myself, in a darkness no man could see through without a flashlight. Chills began to run down my spine as my turn to descend the ladder arrived. At the bottom, there is one tunnel. We walked for a couple of minutes, rounded the corner, and found lit tea-lit candles on both sides of the hallway. Mostly out of unease and fear, we decided to blow them out one at a time. At the end of this hallway, a plaque read, Control Room. We approached this room, and I suddenly felt ill, sick to my stomach, and went pale. We called out to anyone who may be here so as to not scare them, but no answer. We entered the room and found that it had been painted completely black, floor to ceiling. A single chair sat in the middle, surrounded by a pentagram painted in white. I had heard that some come to the silos on Halloween and play with Ouija boards to conduct seances. Through our exploration, Sarah had been taking random pictures. She decided to take a picture of the chair sitting in the middle of the room, and almost immediately after the picture was taken, I felt as if I needed to leave the room. I can't with words describe the feeling I felt. I told everyone I had to leave and said said I would wait for them outside the room. As I walked through the doorway, I noticed that all of those tea candles we blew out were relit. I called to my friends and told them it was time to go. We walked back down the the candlelit hallway, back to the room we descended to. Joe noticed that in the corner of this room, a blanket, a box of open diapers, and a teddy Mm -hmm. bear sat. They didn't look as though they'd been there long, and I wondered what kind of person would bring a baby down here. Thoroughly freaked out, we hurried to the ladder. Guess who ended up waiting at the bottom for everyone else? You guessed it. Again, I'm waiting at the bottom for Sarah to ascend the ladder. This ladder was not attached to anything aside from where it comes out of the concrete at the top. It just kind of hung there. My turn finally came, and as I climbed up, Joe shined the light down to help me see. He quickly asked me who was still down there with me when I replied, no one. He said there was no reason for asking as as his voice trailed off and color left his face. Halfway up the ladder, I began to climb a little faster. The ladder suddenly began to shake violently as if someone or something at the bottom was trying to derail me. I made it to the top, but only barely. We shined the light down the ladder to reveal nothing. We were all terrified. We picked up our pace towards the dome room we had begun in, constantly checking behind us, feeling that we were being followed. I began to hear a little girl giggling behind us. I truly believed that I was hearing things because of how terrified I was. But then Sarah turned around, grabbing my flashlight and shining it behind us. Nothing. But I could tell she heard the same thing I had been hearing. And after what seemed like hours, we made it back to the dome room. We found the graded staircase and began to walk up. One of the steps in the staircase was missing, so we all took a minute to safely traverse it. 
As we rested, I heard footsteps on the staircase behind us, but when I turned my flashlight, I revealed nothing behind us. I noticed that the aforementioned tree stump was now smoldering harder than before with little flames beginning to poke their way out. Quickly, but as carefully as possible, we started across the second floor grates. Eventually, we made it to the tunnel leading outside. Headed down this tunnel, we noticed a blood-like liquid running in a tiny river fashion towards the dome. Our pace began to quicken when we heard a crying coming from the dome room. We looked back towards the source of the crying to see that the stump was now completely on fire and burning higher than it should have been able to. Another noise caught my attention. It began at the start of the tunnel behind us, almost like a wave, a blood-curdling scream and a tremendous gust of wind barreled down the tunnel. We tried, but we couldn't outrun it. It hit us like a truck, knocking us to our knees. I felt as though someone was driving nails into my ears. We crawled to the opening outside, one hand in front of the other. As soon as Becky crossed the threshold, all the noises vanished just as quickly as they had arrived. We got to our feet and began the hike up the volcano-like hill. Did I hear a girl laughing at the opening we just left? I could not be sure because at this point, I wasn't even sure if this was real life or some creepy, vivid dream. We piled back into our car and took off for home. I looked at the clock and noticed the sun beginning to rise in the east. I saw that seven hours had passed. Could it really have been that long? For the next week, no one spoke of what had happened for fear of inviting whatever that was to come find us. Another week went by when I got a call from Sarah saying she needed to see me and that it was urgent. When I got to her house, she was sitting on the stairs out front holding her camera. Had she finally looked at the pictures from that night? Did it have any explanation for what happened? As I approached her, I noticed she was slightly shaking. She handed me the camera and told me to scroll through. Most of the pictures showed nothing but old, worn-out rooms full of graffiti. But as I came to the end, I saw what had her so terrified. I cannot stress to you how vivid this picture was. Do you remember her taking a picture of the chair in the control room? In the picture under the chair with one hand on each leg was a girl maybe no more than eight screaming into the camera it's a face i still see in my sleep sarah told me that something had been with her since that night it flickers her lights closes the doors moves things around wherever she puts them and at night she is often woken by a little girl giggling somewhere in her room stay creepy john john good story man uh Great two, story. Two thoughts. Yes. One, I just thought of at the end, and then I'll go to the thought I heard earlier. Yeah. But, uh, one was, okay, like she takes this thing with her from the silo, this little yeah. girl that's in the chair. Yeah. And then we've talked in the past about like, okay, if we're going to go with the belief that like, you know, not only ghosts are real, but like demonic entities are real. Right. And demonic entities want to trick you and they want to take on other forms to make them more right. like appealing to you. And that makes me think about all the sightings of like children. Mm-hmm. And I wonder like if you're a demonic entity, are you going to pick the the build of a child to seem less threatening to some kind of thing? So maybe a lot of these like, you know, quote unquote ghosts of children are actually not ghosts at all. They're some kind of demonic kind of like malevolent kind of entity. You know how the giggling always freaks you out because mm-hmm. it's just so unnatural and mm-hmm. creepy. Yeah. I wonder, to take that thought a little bit further, if the demons, malevolent things, disguise themselves as a child, but the giggling is like them kind of falling out of character. Like, mm. ha-ha, I've tricked you. Because the feeling you get of a 
child ghost laughing is immediately not good. You're like, <laughs> right. nope. You're never like, oh, sweet little girl. Right. You're like, oh, shit. And is that sort of them like losing yeah. their facade? Or, or intentionally menacing you? Oh. Or they're like, there's no rules that say that they're super smart. And maybe <laughs> they think that the uh, giggling is going to sound again like peaceful or something. Oh, right, right. Like it's going to set you at ease, but you're like, nope. Maybe it's going to make you want to come that. have fun with mm-hmm, them. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm oh, playing a, little, a game. Yeah, just a little kid laughing. Oh, What's wrong with that? And they don't understand that it's like, it's not quite right. That makes me think of the story from last week uh, with like the um, Mitchell and mm. his, his parent, not parents. Oh, yeah. It's like, you know, they trick you into thinking they're something that they're not. Right, right. But they're not quite good, real good at it. Right. They're so a they can't little bit quite dumb. pull it off. Yeah, yeah. So they can't, they don't have the um, the level of uh, nuance mm-hmm, that actual mm-hmm. people have. Yeah. <sighs> and then the other thing, that thing about like, okay, when you're, if I was like way down in some oh crazy labyrinth of this silo and I saw two tea candles lit. That would scare the fucking shit out of me because I know. take out paranormal, it's like, well, if the candle hasn't burned down, that means someone was there not that long ago. That's right. Because tea lights are, you you know what tea they're, light yeah, candles they're, are, they're right? They're not they're very tiny big. Guys. They're tiny little candles. And then that whole thing about like coming back out and the candles are relit. Again, take out paranormal. My first thought would be like, holy shit. We are definitely not alone. Right, right. I mean, it's one thing to have like a candle be blown out because then you can yeah. blame it on the wind. But candles don't relight themselves. Fair, fair. Like that. So then it's either like it's two equally horrifying possibilities that there's some spirit kind of paranormal thing in there with you mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or there's some other people who have gone right to next to where you are. To a room with a fucking pentagram. To a room painted. with a pentagram but not announce their presence. That's and I'm fair. Like, I didn't think about that. That's, that alone scares the shit out of me. And I wonder if like uh, John and Sarah and Becky and Joe remained calm because Becky, no, uh, because Sarah and John had been there many times before mm. and said that they've like run into people. Yeah. So, so maybe there's like some sort of unspoken code there of like, oh, you know, if you like bump into people because he said, excuse me, he said, you know, we announced ourselves mm-hmm. so as to like not sneak up on somebody. Yeah. So there's this like unspoken code. So just adding to that, it's yeah. like, you know, someone is there because the candles are lit. You've announced mm-hmm. yourself and there's this you know, rule of thumb that you always yeah. let other people know that you're there. And, and so I know you're that. there and you're not fucking responding. So here, are the, and there's a chair in mm-hmm. the middle of a room with a pentagram. So what are my options? Being possessed and taking like some spirit home with me or, or being, being haunted. sacrificed. Exactly. Murdered. Or being tortured to death. Yeah. And no one's going to fucking hear you down there. No. And no one knows. I, I'm assuming you're teenagers. Yeah. I highly doubt your parents are like, oh yeah, have fun at the silo. So you've mm-hmm. probably snuck out. No one knows. I mean, it's like a perfect Yep. And if you're murder. some creepy killer oh in the area God. and you know that oh people sneak in there, that's like a spider waiting in the in the bottom of the web. Oh, my gosh. You're just waiting for some flies to come get stuck, and then you get to kill them with, you know, no one else around. That is the premise for an incredible movie. Uh, it doesn't even have to be like a horror movie. It could just be like a thriller, mm-hmm. like Silence of the Lambs, uh, Kiss the Girls kind of thing. Just like what a creepy type of serial killer where that's like they hide down there and then... But it's like it, genius also if you're yeah. a killer. Uh-huh. I almost feel guilty putting those things out into the universe. I know, I know. I'm like, oh, like actually, a- it's a terrible idea. It's awful. The <laughs> silo's guarded with yeah. uh, heavily armed You'll get guards. caught. Don't do it. Yeah, there's cameras and... <laughs> There's some psycho being like, oh, that's a great idea. He's like, okay, now where, what can I get the address? What, where did she say that was? Some psycho just been waiting for years to kill, but it's like, well, I mean, the only thing that's going to stop me is now I'm able to get away with it. But now that problem solved. Some psychopath who only gets advice from podcasts about how to complete murders. He's like, okay, so now. 
and then like they have like a, uh-huh, a notebook uh-huh. so they're like making notes they're like okay so on small town murder james and jimmy said <laughs> da, 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 da. and then on scared to death dan and right. Lindsay said da, 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 da. and then on the white vault they said that it's like can you imagine they like oh, they get caught and they have this no, book no. of evidence that all links back to podcasting uh, yeah yeah i know yeah. I mean, you can't be held liable yeah but still but still crazy mm-hmm. crazy crazy i i thought it was um really that picture at the end, mm-hmm. like a little girl, like underneath the chair. Ah, yikes. Yeah. Because you can, you can envision it. How did they stay so calm? I don't know. No one was freaking out. And I, I thought it was smart, too, that John pointed out, mm-hmm. you know, you cannot lose your shit down there. Yeah. Like, if you see something, you can't because, you know, m- metal so- like metal uh, steps and rebar ladders, someone could slip and get seriously hurt. And how are you going to get them out? Mm-hmm. I mean, Oof, crazy. Crazy place to explore. And a privately owned silo. So I didn't even yeah. know that that was an option. Well, I guess, I guess, I don't know. Yeah, that's so weird. I mean, I guess if there was some huge silo on like a massive piece of land. Yeah. And it just wasn't in use anymore and the government could make some money selling it. Like yeah. they're never going to use it again. Right. And you assume the liability. Okay. Well, and I wonder if the government would come through and clear out all the uh, munitions. The hazardous, probably. Yeah. Oh, yes. I would assume strongly so. Right. But they're going to leave like maybe the, the, the empty structure there. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I know. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Do you remember when we went, the, my last thought on this is we went to the Galena mine. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, uh-huh. in, in Kellogg. And uh-huh. that was the closest that I've ever been to like being in a silo. And mm-hmm. I thought like, and we've actually, a while ago, I told a story about a, a haunted uh, mine. Mm-hmm. It was like in mm-hmm. Florida, maybe somewhere. Um, but, you know, it's just so fascinating. These like underground cities. Yeah, it is. And you, you are really fucking trapped. <laughs> yeah. You have to stay so calm. Mm-hmm. So crazy that there's like so many like, uh, you know, tunnels to go explore, but very few exits. Sometimes just one entrance, one exit. Yep. Well, yeah. And like, and in that's the... what's so scary is that if somebody plugs that, oh you're stuck down there. That mine that we were in, it's like there was one, maybe there might have been two, like an old one and a new one, but like a shaft elevator mm-hmm. and only maybe six, 10 people. I mean, you are sardined in there, mm-hmm. fit in this elevator. So if there's any sort of emergency like paranormal mm-hmm. or just regular life kind of shit happening you're be, you're you're stuck be a terrible place to see something oh god oh god okay well now that we've explored all of the options <laughs> would you like to do some spoopy shout outs i Dan? would uh am i starting or are you gonna start oh you could go first this week if you like okay i will i will go first okay i would like to thank the following annabelles for supporting us on patreon we have john quills clark henderson Tim Warriner, Ruth Fitzgibbon, Mika Cones, Alyssa Winchell, Zach Poulter, Vidya, uh, Megan Isaacson, Angela Mays, Tyler Cox, <laughs> Furby Has Legs, <laughs> uh, Matthew uh, Armendariz, uh, Sarah, uh, Sarah Thyschaefer, Thyschaefer, uh Chan A., Teresa Sills, Cameron Carroll, Michaela Porter, Becca Kaiser, Colin Graff, Morgan Stone. Sounds like an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. type. like Morgan some Stone? M- Marvel character or something. I love it. Morgan Stone. Agent Stone. Agent Stone. Uh, Yo Mama 549. <laughs> <laughs> Alice Lockhart. Andy Perrault. Or, 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 it's like a French. It's um, Perrault. 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 I have trouble with those ones. And Carter Collins. Okay, good job. Um, before I dive into my spoopy shout outs, yeah. last week I said Seven Beavers. And then I was like, right. wait, no, it's the Stephen lead, Beavers. The lead single from... Lead single? Uh, Seven Beavers was a lead single from... It was like... Uh, the hit single. The hit single. 
Because it would be the lead singer? The lead, no, it's like the lead track, the lead single, the, the first single. Okay, oh, the hit single from Grand Barn Door or something like that? Captain Barn Door. Captain Barn Door. It was Captain Barn yes. Door's yeah, hit single. We've created a band for you, mm-hmm. but Stephen Beavers, yeah. I'm very sorry that I got your name wrong <laughs> last week, but also I hope that you have enjoyed this new life that we've built for you. I would like to thank the following Annabelles for supporting us on Patreon. Kimberly Stancil, April Campbell, Christian Collier, Clarissa Robin, Dallas Nunn, Noah Whalen, Jimmy Randall Hibbs, Deanna and Alex Evans, Luke Freimer, Freimeyer, Noah Coyne, Abigail Bilbo, Jonathan Garcia, Emma Cosby, Zach Fisher, which like my best friend, her brother-in-law is a Zach Fisher. Well, oh. I'm sure it's like a very common name, but if you have a you know, brother named Max who's married to Natasha, let me know. <laughs> Hillary Wilcox, Logan Doherty, Jenna, I'm oh, sorry, Jenny Campbell. Ian Banya, Dave Presho, Morgan Jemison, Jacob and Taylor, Nathan Morgan, Chelsea Aguilar, Shelby Dukes, Cameron Rutherford, and Catherine Chambers. And then I have some swoopy shout outs. Oh, yeah. Okay. Scoop it up. Whew. That like whispered in my ear in a weird way where it just, I was like, what? Is someone <laughs> else here talking? <laughs> ah! Pasqua. Stop it. Um, This is so cute. From C1 to C2, happy anniversary. I love you. When I wrote this down, I forgot to make note of it, but I want to say it's like um, like a Christina and a Christopher, and they both go by Chris. So C1 and C2. Oh, okay. Cute. To Chris from Ashley, happy fourth anniversary. To Katie Boo from Butt Butt, I love you. Happy 14th anniversary. Okay, this is my favorite shout out of the week. Okay. I don't know who this shout out is for because the sender never replied to me when I said, what is this person's name? So the it was a, an email with a picture, and it was, happy anniversary from your favorite brother, Forrest. It was like, can you wish my sister a happy anniversary? Like, I don't so, know your sister's name. Forrest's sister, happy anniversary. So happy anniversary, Forrest's sister <laughs> and brother-in-law. Hopefully you get a good laugh out of that. I love it. To Taylor from Meg, happy birthday to the baddest bitch and best friend. To Vivian and Evelyn from your mom, Carmen, love you kiddos. Aw, cute. That's it. And that's our show. Thank you for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. You can email us for everything else, info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Thanks to Logan Keith and Liz Hernandez for their work on social media. To Logan again for running badmagicmerch.com. Thanks to Joe Paisley for producing and directing today. Zach Cohen for custom soundbed creation. Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails. Thank you to book editor Drew Atana for helping formatting the listener stories each week. Thanks to producer Sarah Finch for finding today's first story. And to producer Olivia Lee for finding the second. Uh, thanks to Winona Ryder for the DMs back and forth recently. <laughs> oh my God, stop it. She's not if messaging you, you. If you want. No. Huh? If you want more, if you want more horror, you can join us on Thursday mm. for our live stream Moment House event to just like amp it up right mm-hmm. before Halloween on Sunday. Yes. Yep. Get some extra spooks. Spoops. Spoops. Is what you meant to say. And happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. And enjoy your nightmares, creeps and peepers. Hope you were scared to death. Bye. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through but has no home here within scared to death. Add Magic Productions. Pandora makes it easy for you to find your favorite music. 
discover new artists and genres by selecting any song or album, and we'll make you a personalized station for free. Download on the Apple App Store or Google Play and enjoy the soundtrack to your life. You ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today.